Welcome to Coaching Conversations, a weekly discussion of topics related to coaching and the sport of volleyball at all levels. I'm your host, John Foreman, author of the CoachingVB.com blog and co-developer of the Volleyball Coaching Wizards Project. Let's dive right in. Welcome to episode 25 of the podcast. It is March 28th, 2021, as I record this. I just finished my second to last week of the regular season with the Manai men's volleyball team. Uh, so as this is going out to patrons, uh, there's one week left in the regular season before we get into postseason play. Um, if you're not a patron already, uh, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash coaching VB. And you'll be able to get access to these uh, podcasts a week earlier than they go out to the public. So just in a little advantage there. And you get means you can get these updates a little in more timely fashion. Anyway, so uh, this uh, this week's episode is actually comes directly out of my teaching. Uh, if you're aware, you or kind of heard me speak about it before. Um, I got roped into teaching the sport marketing and promotion class here at Madai. Uh, they they got in touch with me. The department chair got in touch with me at the beginning of. January and said, "Hey, would you be interested in taking uh, taking on this class?" Uh, I got. We had to get permission from the vice president of student development, who's the one who under whom the athletic department sits in the organizational chart. Um, because generally speaking, I think full time coaches aren't involved in teaching because presumably they have coaching duties, uh, but. There you have it. I uh, decided to to go for it, uh, mostly because I you know I am a PhD. I should, at least in theory, be able to teach stuff. Now, granted, my PhD is not in marketing or sport management or anything like that. It's actually in behavioral finance. So, yeah, maybe not a close correlation there. Uh, I've certainly taken my fair share of marketing classes because I was a business student at the undergraduate and the graduate school level, uh, though never took sport marketing specifically. Uh, but I've been in this business for long enough that I've done my fair share of marketing, at, especially at kind of the the grassroots type of level with local clubs and, and clearly anything to do with with volleyball, uh, coaching volleyball, the, the blog and all that. There's, there's marketing aspects to that as well. So I do have at least some general comfort in, in terms of being able to talk about the material, but that's not the same as uh, having developed the course and having to, to teach it, you know, three days a week, two days in the classroom. Uh, and then our third day, which is, which is Fridays is uh, an online uh, lecture or presentation or whatever as the structure this year to, you know, facilitate, facilitate the, there's the safety procedures around COVID and all that sort of stuff. So, one of the things that I decided to do in and kind of planning out the class was to have some guest speakers that could come in and speak from real world experience. Uh, and the first class, uh, the first one of these that I did was with uh, Michael Smith, who I work with at Nation Academy, because he's got a lot of experience in the the sport marketing world, where it, where it comes to like professional clubs and, and the soccer realm. And I've got a couple of. English students uh, who are actually student athletes 
uh, from the soccer team who were in the class. So I knew it would appeal very specifically to them. And, and I've got all the, the students working on a, a semester long project where they've picked an organization that they have some affinity toward and they're work, gonna work on uh, putting together a marketing plan for that organization based on specific uh, goals. And so I know, I think there's three guys in the class who've picked English clubs. That is their organization of interest. So they were able to ask um, Michael some interesting questions from that regard. This or uh, last week as I record this, or maybe it was the week before as I record this, yeah. I had Will Foley from Volleyball League of America come in to talk about marketing a grassroots professional volleyball league in this country. Uh, if you were paying attention to the original Coaching Conversations series, I actually had Will and one other person on from Volleyball League of America to, to talk about what their league was about, what they were doing. And I'll include a link to that, um, that show, episode, whatever you want to call it, in the notes for, for this uh, episode here. Uh, you know, after having you know, gone through the class and having the discussion with the, the students, I thought it'd be really interesting to present this lecture. It's not really a lecture. It's, it's more of a more Q&A oriented uh, than anything else. Uh, you know, I have Will introduce himself and we kind of talked about some stuff that, that kind of related to class specifically because we had just finished a segment on sponsorship. So I want to make sure that Will talked a bit about that. But then I had the class uh, submit questions to Will. Not some of it was related to sponsorship, but it had kind of touched on a bunch of different topics and, and some of them were quite interesting. So I thought you might find those, those um, worthwhile uh, listening to and maybe give you some ideas for any marketing or just general organizational stuff that you've got going on with your own club or college team or you know whatever organization you work for as a coach. So uh, hopefully you find that useful. Uh, I also, the, the timing of releasing this now is kind of coincides with BLA is going to be doing an event here in Buffalo in I think uh, three weeks from the time of this recording. So I believe it's uh, April 17th and 18th or 16th and 17th. Uh, it's still to be determined in terms of whether they're going to be allowing spectators in the facility and, and some of those details as far as I'm aware. But there's a chance that I might be involved working the event in some kind of content uh, presentation or development capacity. So we're, we're talking about that. So I'll, I'll you know keep you updated as that moves forward. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as I said, heading into the last week of the season for the Madai men, we are now three and one in conference, having beaten both of the Penn State teams in our league. That's Penn State Barron and Penn State Altoona, who are two of the four other teams that I've kind of been looking at saying, there's five of us contending for four spots in the conference tournament. And so getting those two wins uh, was, was really key and essentially sets us, puts us in an excellent position to qualify for the, for the tournament. Now we've got three matches coming up um, tomorrow, which is Monday, the 29th. We're playing Hilbert from across town. They're kind of a, 
you can call it a new program, but it's more like a return of a program that had gotten dropped before. Uh, and as you can imagine, you know, the, the roster isn't anywhere near what it would be if they were a, a going program. Um, so they, and they only just started playing last week because they got caught up with some COVID issues that kept us, uh, kept them from playing their first three matches. So they all got postponed. So now they're, they're basically playing seven in two weeks or something or a week and a half, I think is really what it works out to. And predictably they, you know, they have not been very good. So we should beat them comfortably tomorrow and that'll get us to four wins. And at worst, we would end up with a four and three record on the season. And the the two Penn State teams will play each other. They both are already on three losses. So one of them ha is going to end up with at least four losses. So, the, so we could be in a tie situation at four and three with the other one. But head-to-head -head is the first tie break. So we're pretty much, as long as we beat Hilbert tomorrow, pretty much guaranteed of coming in no worse than third in the regular season. Uh, we've got Teal on Wednesday. They're currently second from bottom. I thought they were going to be a little bit stronger this year than it turns out they have been. I, I don't know if there's any kind of issues on the roster or whatever that, that have caused them to perform a little bit worse than we kind of saw them performing. But again, a team we should be, you know, as long as we, as we remain focused. Uh, and then to wrap up on Saturday, we have Geneva, which is one of the stronger teams that will, is, they actually play Hiram, who we played in our first conference match. Uh, that, that match is on Wednesday, the same time we're playing Teal. And it could be that that match decides who gets first place. Uh, I think if Hiram wins, that's it. They'll pretty much lock it up. Whereas if Geneva wins, then we get into an interesting scenario based on our match with Geneva on Saturday. Because if we beat Geneva and Geneva had had beaten Hiram, then all three of us would be on one loss. So in a three-way tie. And then it would come down to, I think, set differential is the first tie break and point differential is the next one. So we could theoretically end up anywhere between first and third in that situation. Uh, and whereas if Hiram beats Geneva and we beat Geneva, then, then we would, um, we would take second and have a first round buy and not, not sorry, not a buy. We would host uh first round. So top two teams will host the semifinals next week on Wednesday, as things are currently planned out. So uh, set up for an interesting week, uh, coming up for the Badai Ben. Uh, the Madai women keep training. Uh, we had one more commitment to the team early in this past week to get us up to four of the seven that we're looking to fill. This young ladies from the Seattle, Washington area. So continuing to, to ex expand the geographic diversity of this uh, incoming class and by extension, the, the squad overall. So I think that's, that's about it right now. Um, let's get on with the discussion with Will and you know, if you have any questions about sport marketing or VLA or anything that relates to what you hear, by all means, reach out and let me know. We have to continue in the conversation. Why don't you kind of start us off a little introduction of yourself and kind of the background of VLA and, and how it's gotten to where it is right now. Happy to. Uh, and hello, everyone. My name is uh, Will Foley. Um, 
I, I wear a couple hats. Um, I have a, a full-time job, but um, this being my, my part-time passion project, uh, the VLA, uh, the VLA is um, a professional volleyball league here in the U.S. Um, the way that we got started was uh, a group of other passionate volleyball players really saw an opportunity in the market um, for uh, professional volleyball here in the U.S. Um, those people include former Olympian Loy Ball, gold medalist, uh, been to four Olympics, um, and uh, carries a ton of international volleyball experience. Uh, myself, uh, who uh, comes from a background in uh, the tech startup industry, and then there's a few other uh, individuals that um, are across the U.S., um, that uh, are also helping and, and the team is is growing. Okay, very good. Uh, so this is kind of your, this should be, this would have been your third season, right? Had things not kind of got shut down last year? Yeah, you know, I think with, uh, with COVID, uh, a lot of norms have been uh, redefined. Um, so um, last year, so 2019 to two, uh, 2020 was our uh, inaugural season, um, which turned into um, a single event uh, midsummer when it was uh, safe to do so. Um, that really gave us a launching point to uh, create high-level volleyball content, uh, share it online, create uh, an online presence, and uh, that uh, presence has has grown since. And so. Right now, we are going into our second season here in 2021. Um, we got a few uh, additional events. We've had um, two events so far, and we plan to have, I think, five or six uh, more. And being a, a startup sport, um, it's highly flexible uh, and is, as well as fluid in, in the world of, of uh, events uh, during a, a pandemic. Well, and that's actually an important part of your business model in these early years is you're you're working very much on an event basis where it's not just single matches. It's like the ones that you've – actually, the ones we were just talking about coming up in April here in Buffalo. It looks like it's two back-to-back -back days of triangulars. Is, the, is that right? Correct. And that's And that's tied in with um, one of the local clubs here. And I know that in the past, and I'm sure going forward, you've run events where your, your teams have been competing kind of in, in the space of, uh, say, a juniors event that was already on the schedule. So you're taking advantage of, of that sort of, you know, I guess, I don't know, campaign and, and uh, environment and atmosphere and all that. Yeah. So, um when, when, when I think about uh, starting a league, a sports league specifically, a professional sports league from scratch, um, there is so many things to, to consider. Um, you know, where we play the matches, how many games or matches we, we play, um, and how we are uh, going to kind of schedule uh, a season. Uh, with uh, knowing that um, there are no uh, millions of millions of dollars from previous seasons to really fund 
um, a, a season. And so we took uh, a look at how other sports have, have done it. And we really modeled this uh, tour-based uh, professional league um, based on uh, the uh, PVL, the professional, uh, oh, no, the uh, PLL, the professional lacrosse league um, uh, that, that popped up about two years ago and then just recently purchased um, the, the Legacy League. Um, and PLL uh, was a tour-based model from the beginning. And I think um, some of the, the reasons uh, when we started investigating why was uh, that there was uh, really uh, a changing uh, demographic of uh, fans attaching to sports leagues. Um, specifically, it being more player-centric rather than location-centric. So when you think of um, the MLB, um, you think of Boston and New York and the cities associated with it and, and the players. But when you think of, uh, you know, another angle and another perspective, when you think about the NBA, you think about LeBron James. I'm a LeBron James fan. Um, wherever he goes, I am a LeBron James fan. And so we really saw an opportunity to really uh, do a tour-based model and really put our players in the forefront of how our fans connect with the league, um, which allows us to, um, I think, better connect with our players, but also reduce the costs and overhead of creating those leagues because uh, we don't have to purchase gyms, we don't own any of the properties, and we are partnering where we have fans. And so we're going to where those fans are, which is always evolving and changing. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the, the athlete focus because obviously we've got a very high-profile Athletes Unlimited League that's happening right now which takes exactly that sort of view, they're just on a different funding level from what you guys are doing. And it's a much more condensed, it's only a five-week season. How do you guys, how do you compare yourselves to, to what they're um, working at? Yeah, I, I think they do a lot of things really, really well. So Athletes United, um, I don't know how many of uh, the, the students here are, are familiar with it quickly. It's Professional Volleyball League for uh, the women's teams um, that um, are highlighting the, some of the best players uh, in, in U.S. Uh, volleyball uh, and some international players uh, in, as John said, uh, a really a condensed five-week uh, season. Um, and it's all based on um, player individual point scoring. Uh, and so it creates a really fun attachment to the, the players rather than the teams. And every week the players actually rotate and switch teams. Um, I think what they're doing really well is they attracted great talent, high production cost. They're doing a good job of multi-threading the content through social media as well as online uh, streaming platforms and your legacy platforms, FS2, and I think a few others. And so they're, they're doing a really good job of putting the content in a lot of different places. I think where uh, there's room for improvement is I think it's really hard to attach yourself to a player as well as the team. And so it becomes a little of, uh, a week-to-week 
uh, challenge to relearn the entire team that your favorite players uh, playing with. And so I think that um, it is uh, pushing us to the future uh, with areas of opportunity for, for improvement. Yeah, that's interesting. We've actually, actually, we've got two softball players in here, Brianna and Carissa. I don't know if either one of you guys have, have seen the equivalent thing that they're doing in softball. They actually started um, with that before they brought in volleyball, and it looks like lacrosse is coming up next somewhere in the future. So that's interesting. Uh, for the students, uh, I'm hoping most, if not all of you, have come up with your questions for Will. Uh, Go ahead. You can start. Go ahead and put them in the chat, and as they come in, I'll you know I'll pull them up and I'll ask them, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, while that while they're working on that, uh, one of the things that's big for a lot of the, the students in their projects is trying to expand um, multimedia and, and 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 just their social media, uh, I guess, reach. Uh, what sort of strategies are you guys doing to to, to handle that for the league and for the individual teams? Yeah, um, you know, social media is definitely um, our our number one focus uh, right now. How do we grow followers? How do we grow fans? How do we um, attach uh, a connection? Um, to uh, the VLA as well as the, the players. And so I think uh, it really stems from uh, our research on what is the most popular content types uh, and then attaching it to a person rather than a league. And so we do a lot of top plays that really attract the eyeballs with, from a volleyball perspective, the, the great digs, the great hits, the high-hitting um, uh, kills the, um, you know the the all the things that I think a lot of volleyball players and non-volleyball players look at and it catches their their eye, uh, and then we we group it and and attach it to a player so that we can make sure that it's not the league, it's the human to human connection that we want to really tie our content with to those leagues, uh, to uh, to those players. Um, the the other uh, thing that we we are doing is we're we recognize that as a professional volleyball league we want to enable our players to be successful navigating all of the the channels that they have in order to be successful. So uh, making sure that they're uh, they have the tool set to post on social media. They know the content that works and how to really engage with their fans. And the best ones are the ones that are really uh, following those best practices and then pushing pushing those uh, limits. So it's really about educating and enabling them to be successful to get the benefit of a um, exponential return as we grow the league. Okay, all right, good. Questions are coming in. Uh, the first one from Robert here actually gets to kind of the main point of what we're talking about in terms of sponsorships. So he asked, does each individual team have their own sponsorship deals or are they all included under the league's sponsorship agreements? Yeah, you know, it, it was one of the first questions that we tackled uh, at the VLA. Do we want to be decentralized or centralized uh, league entity? 
and so for for the most part, we are a centralized league entity, and so the sponsorships would be driven to the league, and then we would be leveraging all of the team's assets to deliver value for our sponsors. And the reason that we came to that conclusion is we looked at a lot of the the other leagues that that exist, other professional leagues. You look at um, you know the big ones, the MLB, the NFL, the um, the NBA, and you see probably in the last decade uh, or or two this shift into salary caps and all of these things that are trying to balance out. Um, the fact that you can pay to win in professional sports. And we wanted to make sure from the start that it was going to be a a competition between the teams with equal budgets to find and attract and cultivate the best talent possible. And the competition is not only how well you do on the court, but it's also how well the team can manage the budget and resources that we provide them so that it becomes a competition between how effective you can manage your teams. So it's centralized for us, and uh, it's been working out uh, well so far to create equitable teams across the, the league. Okay. Uh, carrying on with the sponsorship question, uh, Ben is asking, the bulk of your sponsors are volleyball orientated. For example, GBA, VCA, Smack Volleyball. If you look at a sport like football, soccer, there are leagues sponsored by gambling companies and trophies sponsored by Papa John's, for example. The sponsors are, are broader, broader-based. So why is it that VLA has chosen sponsors and partners, which are basically volleyball? Yeah, um, we haven't got them yet. Um, uh, there's, there's no doubt we want them. Uh, there's no doubt there's value that we can provide. Um, but here lies the, um, I think, the the focus that has allowed us to be successful so far is um, the the path of least resistance. So uh, when we think about who is our target market, uh, right now it is volleyball fans. Um, it's volleyball people. Uh, and right now, um, the easiest phone calls that we can do to uh, lock in partnerships are people that are vested in the success of the sport of volleyball. Um, there is no doubt that I spend time reaching out to non-VL or volleyball um, sponsors, um, and there's a few um, affiliate marketing uh, sponsors that that we have. One of them is Cool and FX. They provide. Um, ice cold gear uh, and we uh, sponsor that at our our events and advertise it and we get a slice of any deal that we send them Um, and so um, it's not that we are necessarily saying we don't want partners outside of volleyball it's that um, with the limited time and resources that we have we're focusing our time and energy on really tackling our target market so that when we get into conversations with outside volleyball entities, we can show them the plethora of our partnerships, making it a social peer cell, showing that we have a complete list of partners and you'll be in good hands. Um, and so it's a matter of time until we start locking more and more of those uh, sponsors outside of the, the volleyball community. 
Gotcha. All right, Crystal wants to know how do you how do you manage to market to people who are not volleyball fans specifically? You kind of said mainly we're focusing on volleyball people, but you know you do want to broaden the base. Totally. Um, it it is uh, it's something I think everybody in volleyball is is trying to solve for from the grassroots efforts to get more youth players from organizations like First Point Volleyball Foundation, who is trying to attract outside of the volleyball community to play volleyball. We want to do the same thing. Um, but when when we get back to some of what um, I was mentioning with the path of least resistance, we know it's easier to attract a volleyball player to watch volleyball. Um, when we have that critical base of fans established, I think we can then start really exercising some of the strategies that we've looked at. Uh, I've had a conversation recently uh, yesterday with um, an individual from uh, the, the Ball State uh, School of um, Immersive Learning. And um, what we really discussed was how do we get fans from non-volleyball backgrounds to watch volleyball? And I think it really comes down to what's the story that's behind volleyball. The, the NBA has lifestyle as their story. The MLB has the summer. They really own it, right? Uh, when you think of the NFL, they own a day of the week. It's Sunday. It's hanging out with family. I think volleyball can be a sport where we advertise one of the greatest benefits that comes with that community is the community and the friendship that are established through playing volleyball. In this case, we want to create that same experience at our events online where it's a place to come and hang out with a community of people that enjoy watching volleyball. All right. Yeah. And, and when it comes to beach volleyball, there's, there's definitely that whole culture of sun and sand. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a lifetime sport. Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's a great way to exercise. It's got a lot of benefits. Yep. All right. And, and actually for those of you, well, none of you guys are volleyball people. So I don't even need to put this reservation in there, but uh, what would surprise a lot of people is if, if you go to USA volleyball open nationals or just nationals, it's adult nationals. And COVID aside, they hold it every year in, I think, June or July. They have divisions, I think, what, 70 is the top age group now, maybe even 80? I mean, yeah. there, there are people in that age group that are playing nationals every year. So that it really is the idea of being in that lifetime sport. Okay. Yes, and, and I go and watch them to support them because one day <laughs> I hope that will be me. <laughs> All right. So next question uh, goes a little bit away from sponsorships, but uh, what's the hardest slash biggest challenge you've had to adapt with while in the pandemic? And was this challenge there before COVID, for example, getting sponsor money or getting fans, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, uh, one of the challenges that existed before and, and, still is is getting fans that that is um the challenge that that we are trying to solve for volleyball as a sport you have um some of the highest participation rates at the high school level for women's volleyball has been double digit growth uh 
and at the men's um, side. And so you have a lot of players, but you don't have a lot of people that watch it. And we're trying to solve uh, that. Um, when, when I think about some of the challenges that didn't exist and do exist now is how hard it is to throw events. Um, it is tremendously difficult to navigate um, and keep everyone safe, right? That's our priority. Um, and, and it's really difficult to navigate all of the different laws and rules in different states. And so it becomes uh, another factor in our planning process when we think about creating a season is where do we create our events? Um, John and I were, were talking New York is stricter than going to Texas, um, but is going to Texas the right decision? Um, you know, uh, time will, will tell. Um, so, you know, it, it's really hard to create a volleyball league, a sports league, without having uh, a huge, huge um, stream of revenue as well as just um, exposure with not having fans at your events. Okay. All right, uh, kind of along a similar thread, uh, since you had to take a season off or had an abbreviated season last year because of COVID, do you think it will be easier or harder to market to fans to come to watch now that you're starting to be able to ramp back up again? Yeah, I, I, I think it could make uh, arguments for, for either side. Um, but because I have a vested interest in um, articulating the reasons why it would be easier to attract friends, I'll, I'll stick with that one, which is, holy hell, aren't we really excited to go and do something? Um, like, uh, I, 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 I think uh, everyone's going to be super welcomed to uh, go out and do something um, as simple as going to watch volleyball and have a great time doing it. So I think um, it's going to be um, easier to uh, attract those uh, fans coming out of uh, the pandemic. But I think it also is um, really, really important that we, we understand that uh, when I think about the fans, I think like after spending, you know, however long we've been in, um, you know, an abridged uh, quarantine, I think that uh, a lot of people are going to do what they really are passionate about. And so I think we're really going to see how many passionate volleyball players and fans are out there because I think more and more people are only going to focus on the things that they really, really enjoy. And I think there's a lot of people out there that really, really enjoy volleyball. Well, I think it definitely does help that you're largely associating yourself with, with like juniors events and as the passion for people wanting to get back to playing or attending in the case of, you know, parents and family, because there's still limitations in a lot of places as to how many people can, can go and attend outside the teams, then it, you know, just helps you guys, I would think. Okay, next question. How does recruiting work for the VLA? Are you looking more at the club or the college level? I know there are a lot of players also come from outside the U.S., when I went to Springfield College, most of the players on their men's teams were from Puerto Rico. How does meeting with those players look? Is it is it different because of COVID? Yeah, um, there's there's no doubt that Springfield does a, an amazing job of recruiting um, from uh, a volleyball hotspot like Puerto Rico. I think um, you know 
one of the things that is is not necessarily a, a real challenge right now is finding really top talented volleyball players that want to play at a high level. Um, there are uh, multiple inbound requests to find teams and uh, join the league. And so there are a lot of people interested, not only from an individual player perspective, but teams that also want to participate in the league. And so we haven't really um, had a challenge with finding those uh, talented players. It's it's really how do we um, maximize utilizing them um, to help us grow the league and grow them and those teams that are interested in playing. That's that's the challenge we're 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 solving. Yeah, I would think just in my experience in volleyball, especially on the men's side, there's always people who want to play. You know, and, and always. And obviously, you guys are not you're not a fully professional league where guys are getting paid to just play volleyball. So they're working other jobs and doing other things. And so, can you speak to uh, where? Actually, there's two parts to this because you kind of mentioned bringing in new teams. How are you looking at where you're establishing these these teams? And, and can you talk about now you've got two tiers? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, one of the things that we have observed from looking at other recent leagues like Athletes United, um, the PLL, is that um, based on a lot of the conversations we had with fans at at some of our events um, pre-pandemic was where are these teams from? Um, Where are these players from? And so... I think um, there is a piece that is missing currently with some of the other leagues that have just started, which is how do we create that visceral attachment to a team that's brand new, right? Um, You know, when you think about uh, if the MLB didn't exist and then all of a sudden it started, and you didn't know anything about the teams other than where they're from, you're probably going to make an attachment to the teams that are closest to you because that's who they quote unquote represent. And so we are purposely putting locations on our teams, even though the players are from all over um, because we have found that people want to attach themselves to teams regionally to make it easier for them to become a fan of somebody in the league and enjoy in the competition of that league. Um, And so we are looking at um, regionally spreading our uh, teams across the United States so that we have that attachment and that coverage across the the entire league. Um, When when I think about really what's – what's the value add of tier one and tier two teams is that um, we have um, the ability to really have high quality volleyball with our tier one. We have a wealth of individuals that want to play at a competitive level, but we need to balance between the high level competition and the need to create content that people can watch. And so we preserve both by having two tiers 
We have a top tier that is going to provide super high-level content. But at any level of volleyball, there are amazing plays, amazing athletes, and it provides additional content for us to use in our promotion of the league. Okay, very good. Uh, a question that's already partially been answered. Uh, can you watch the VLA online through social media or website? Yes, through YouTube Live. You've, you've brought that up before. Um, but continuing, also, do you have an app, or are you considering making an app for the future? Yes. Um, so we are producing content on, as, as John mentioned, the Volleyball League of America YouTube, YouTube Live, uh, and you can see all of our previous matches, highlights, all on uh, the Volleyball League of America YouTube channel. We got Facebook, VLA Volleyball, um, Instagram, um, and Twitter uh, for uh, those bite-sized pieces of, of content. Um, when, um, when I think about um, the opportunity to really uh, integrate more technology into the league, um, we are looking at a few things. Um, so, um, you know, one idea that, that has been tossed around is how do we create fantasy volleyball? How do we create uh, an attachment to our players at a greater level? And so fantasy volleyball uh, apps come to, come to mind. And then another um, uh, idea that, that comes to mind is really leveraging the total asset of what a professional volleyball league provides uh, the market, which is high quality, talented players that are knowledgeable in the sport of volleyball, coaching clinics um, and, uh, you know, skill review come to mind. And how do we scale that during a pandemic or even in the future, we could use technology where we can connect our fans with professional volleyball players for the opportunity to get coaching techniques or personalized uh, reviews of, of plays uh, as another means to grow the league but create revenue from it. Okay. Uh, question that came in was, what are some goals for the VLA and how has the pandemic, pandemic affected them? Yeah, our, our, our objective is to grow the sport of volleyball here in the U.S. Our goals that support that is to create a sustainable volleyball league within three years. And so we're about, I would say, one year into that three-year endeavor. Um, and um, the way in which um, the uh, pandemic has uh, impacted that is uh, extended that uh, time frame for uh, about a year. Um, and so our goal has always been how do we um, create uh, a sustainable volleyball professional league? Um, and that is really important to us because we want to make sure we stick around. Um, we've looked at some other leagues that have come and gone, and it was uh, – the primary reason that they are not here anymore is because um, there uh, wasn't a sustainable business model. And so we want to make sure we establish that sustainable business model. And we do it in a way that allows us to uh, maintain and grow uh, sustainably. Okay. 
if anybody else has any more questions, feel free to post them in. Uh, what I'm going to turn to right now is something that was a heavy part of our last lecture on developing sponsorships is actually the process that you go through. Kind of, can you describe what your workflow is like from kind of identifying potential sponsors, approaching them, learning, you know, what they're after, developing a a plan or or a concept for them, and 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 that whole string of events. Totally. Um, I think I I think the first step is um, who is our target market from a viewership perspective. So. When you think about um, a, a sales engagement, um, it's usually two people, right, uh, or two entities, right? B2B, B2C, um, you have uh, an entity interested in purchasing something. The, the, the fun dynamic of sports sponsorship is that there's uh, a third entity in that relationship um, because sports creates a platform to attract eyeballs. Um, those eyeballs turn into value for potential sponsors. And so you have a three-way relationship where you have to manage each of them and respect each of them. So our target market for people that we want to watch volleyball and is also supported based on our followers is the um, – the uh, 15 to 25-year-olds that are specifically volleyball players. Um, so now we have our, our target market. Um, and what that allows us to do is then go out into the market and talk to other companies that share that demographic. So uh, when you think about 15 to 25-year-olds, uh, and who is interested in supporting uh, those um, or, or sell into or market to those individuals, the, the gamut really opens up. It's one of the hottest, sweetest markets to market to because um, it's so valuable to those entities. Um, so we're focusing specifically first on the volleyball community, uh, because we think that, uh, and it has been uh, easier of a sell. And then we're also looking at a list of companies that want to sell uh, or market to um, those individuals between 15 to 25 male females. Um, the, the next step is um, regional based. So because we're tour based, we are regionally focusing our, our sales in areas where we are going to be, which has allowed us to secure some regional sponsors at, at our events. Okay. So we had one question come in, uh, but actually just to, to continue with this thread for a second, um, when you've got that identification, what does the process look like after you have identified a target? You know, how do you approach them? How do you work with them to structure a deal? Yeah. So now we have the target market. Um, what's what's kind of our, our elevator speech, uh, our elevator pitch? Um, and so um, I think that um, there there's a, 
another piece that happens before we pitch, which is um, we want uh, to to work with someone that is already familiar and excited to use sports sponsorships as a means to advertise their their products. How do we evaluate that? We are combing through all of MLB partnerships, all of the sports sponsorships that exist out there, because they already know the value of sports sponsorships, and we don't need to educate them on that. One of the hardest things to do is educate a buyer on why a product or service is helpful, is valuable for them. And so we are specifically targeting those that already know, already uh, understand the value of sports sponsorships. So once we get into those conversations, they already know how valuable sports sponsorships is. And the metrics that are most important to them is the number of eyeballs that will be able to uh, see their product. Um, because our numbers are where they are, um, we are really leveraging our social media reach and our YouTube followers. Um, so when you subscribe, you are increasing the value of those platforms and the actual value that we can drive to those businesses. So we work with them to quantify the value, uh, and then we uh, we quantify those values with social media and via uh, the YouTube numbers, and then we're able to really uh, talk about uh, how we can package uh, a way to advertise their products and services in a way that aligns with their brand's needs. So now we take a look at what is available for us to sell across the uh, VLA assets. We have social media, we have player profiles, we have advertisements at our events, we have uh, advertisements on our streaming platform. We have the ability to do, uh, hopefully in the future, more um, uh, marketing activations where they bring their products to our events and they can advertise using our platform um, and we can advertise for them in our platform to uh, comb uh, through our, our sponsors um, as a means to help support that, that league. And so we work with them to customize what they want. We have packages uh, small, medium, large that help guide the conversation and allows us to really find one that works for them. Okay, that's good. Um, Mark asks, what are some good examples of a marketing strategy in a time where the company is struggling, or in your case, obviously, the league, or the sport in general isn't getting a lot of exposure? For, and he says, for example, do you have anything lined up in the near future for after COVID? Yeah, I think um, one of the, the things that um, we, we are really trying to do is um, the more that we can have a consistent message across all of our platforms, the more successful we believe we are going to be. And so one of the ideas that we're looking to do is provide uh, a behind the scenes um, documentary on the sport of volleyball, why it's great, why professional volleyball, why it's growing as a sport here in the US and why as maybe someone that is a volleyball friendly or new to volleyball should come check out volleyball. Uh, and so we are, uh, 
in those conversations right now with potentially creating a, a documentary to uh, really um, put uh, the VLA uh, in the forefront of professional sports here in the U.S. That's interesting. Didn't, I haven't heard that one before, but yeah, I mean, c considering all the, the documentaries we see of other sports on Amazon and on uh, Netflix, they have an impact. That's for sure. I mean, I watched a Formula One documentary a couple of years ago and started watching Formula One. I'd never really watched it before. They got me. <laughs> That's exactly the model that we want to create. Very good. Okay, so as we said, you guys are coming to Buffalo. Uh, three of the teams are coming to Buffalo. One of, one of them is a New York team, and I'm forgetting the other two. Um, so when you're assuming you had fans, assuming people are allowed to come and watch, which we're still a little bit shaky on right now, but what do you, what would you want ideally to, to have in the in the arena or in this the facility, as your kind of the atmosphere around your event? Yeah, I think um, it, it really stems to you know our belief in why volleyball as a sport is so great is because of the welcoming community um, that that it is. And our events, we want to emulate that experience that you have as a player and extend it to those that maybe aren't interested in potentially playing, but more interested in being just a, a watcher or for those fans that were once uh, in their primes and still get the similar enjoyment that they did when they played by watching volleyball. Uh, and so our events are going to be really about creating a sense of community by tying and getting our fans as close to the players as possible. And so some of the things that we are doing further into our seasons is camps and clinics to get players uh, in our league uh, an opportunity to be in front of our um, fans um, and really close to them because it's the relationships uh, that we build here uh, in the volleyball community that make it uh, so popular, and we want to do that uh, at our events. Okay. We've got uh, an interesting question. It kind of, it's partly tied in with uh, the recruiting question before, but it takes it in a different direction. So we all know that volleyball is a sport played throughout the whole world. The Olympics is a perfect example of how much it has progressed over the years. Does VLA think of recruiting players outside the U.S. or finding talent outside the U.S.? Wouldn't that be a way for the company, the league, getting more exposure and recognition outside the U.S., thus getting more followers? It says, my goal, my goal for my organization is to expand in other countries, and recruiting players outside of England is a way of gaining more followers. That's I love big, it. It's a big business model for like teams in the Premier League and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I I I think we are not doing that right now. Do I think we could? Absolutely. Um, I think it becomes um, a um, resource constraint challenge that that we exist. So um, when I think about attracting um, top talent from outside the U.S., um, 
I think about all of the logistical needs of those individuals that aren't uh, U.S. citizens. So sponsorship, um, travel, um, citizenship, um, all of the uh, things that go along with um, getting those players here in the United States, and then also providing them with a livable wage to make it uh, worth it. Um, so um, those are things when those resource constraints are so tight that we will be exploring, um, and I think is is a fabulous example of ways to accelerate growth. Um, what we are doing right now is um, there are plenty of players um, in the U.S. that play internationally um, that we are strategically putting our season to uh, a time frame where those uh, European and international leagues are uh, ending uh, and those players come back to the U.S., and we give them a platform to continue to play. So those players are bringing their international fans that they make overseas to our league. Some examples are Cody Kessel. He plays in Berlin Recyclers right now. Um, he has uh, an amazing followers, uh, has gained many more followers now that he's on Berlin Recyclers, one of the best teams um, professionally across all leagues. Um, other examples of that um, include um, Dave Weizurka. He's uh, also in uh, Germany, Blake Leeson. He's in Switzerland. And so we're kind of doing, uh, I think, similarly to what you're proposing here that you're doing uh, for, for soccer in the, the UK, um, but doing it in uh, a different way by actually taking uh, U.S. players that played internationally to tap into those international fans when they play for us here in the U.S. Yeah, something else that, that uh, I was thinking of in that regard is, to your point about resource constraints, is one of the issues you would have is, well, how do you deal with, with sponsorships when you say you bring in a really high-profile Brazilian player, for example? That really changes the dynamics of the eyeballs. And so uh, how, that, which means you have to re rearrange your approach to how you're getting sponsorships and, and other business arrangements, which may or may not be the most efficient thing currently, but obviously could very well be down the line. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's a, a great point. It, it, um, it, it is a great growth strategy, uh, tapping into, to new markets. Um, I think in order for it to be successful, we have uh, a baseline market that needs to be created here, providing the foundation for us to go internationally. Right. Okay. Uh, we got a few more minutes before we'll end up wrapping up. So if there's any more questions that you guys have, uh, make sure you get them in now. So, the, the, of course, the, the, the challenge that we've always, always got with volleyball is there's been a bunch of leagues out there, and most of them have fallen by the wayside one way or the other. What is – you talked about trying, you know, wanting within three years, a little bit extended now because of the COVID situation, uh, to create this sustainable league. So what will it take for you guys to be sustainable? What, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, um... I think a, 
Uh, a, a few things. So um, when when you think about um, sports, um, there's multiple uh, revenue streams. And I think what makes sports so successful is that um, – especially, you know, it was put to test uh, during the, the COVID pandemic, is that um, you're, you're able to successfully stand up multiple revenue streams. Um, we're focusing on partnerships. We're focusing on our social and streaming revenue. We're focusing on our ticketing revenue. And we're focused on our merchandise revenue. And if we are successful at establishing, let's say, three out of four of those, um, I think we will be able to uh, become a self-sustainable league um, come, uh, you know, three years from now. Um, that's um, selling partnerships that uh, allows us to um, put um, logos, advertisements on jerseys across our, our courts, um, everywhere to help promote the, the sport of volleyball and those partners. Um, two, uh, you know, creating um, our ability to uh, create great content through social and streaming, um, increasing our followers on uh, YouTube um, live uh, exploring conversations with other distribution uh, channels, um, with other streaming services, um, and um, standing up uh, ticketing that allows us to um, create camps, clinics, and charge fees for people to attend live events, uh, and uh, a merchandise store that um, allows us to um, not only um, you know, capitalize the uh, the gear that we sell, but the branding that's now walking through uh, every volleyball and every school um, after that that purchase. Okay, sounds good. Uh, you've obviously you know kind of researched other uh, leagues and organizations. Uh, just in terms of what. For those, obviously, there's a lot that are struggling. Maybe not the, the high-profile leagues, MLB, NFL, because they've got massive uh, resources available to them. But for those leagues and organizations that are a little bit lower down, what's been the biggest uh, negative impact from COVID in terms of their business? Yeah, I, I think um, instantly all ticketing revenue has, has gone out the door. I think I read recently um, – the NFL still made a ton of money because they did such a good job on, on partnerships uh, and their sponsorship uh, revenues. Um, and, and I still think that that's a, a huge um, opportunity for even the, the smaller leagues out there is to really capitalize on, on partnerships because in today's marketing world, it is so competitive to become a product or a service that distinguishes themselves as the reason someone purchases their product. And it is no longer the days where you can send coupons, emails, um, 
buy one, get one offers, uh, all of those marketing channels have been oversaturated. Um, and so the strategy has to change. And I think one of the greatest available strategies for marketers out in the world today is sports uh, marketing. Um, I recognize I'm hugely biased here, right? Um, but hopefully um, that makes a lot of sense to, to you all because I think it's, it's really um, what I think a lot of uh, the generations of myself and younger, it's all about experience. And um, that experience uh, creates those connections, and it makes that buying decision uh, a lot much easier when you see a Nike logo on the back of your favorite sports um, uh, athlete um, because it just makes it social proof that if I want to be like Mike, I I go to Nike. All right. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Appreciate it, Will. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks John. Fun. Thanks, uh, everyone. If you want to learn more, follow us on BLA Volleyball, on Instagram, YouTube, but thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes on the website, coachingbb.com, for links and further information about this episode. You'll also be able to find the complete back catalog of prior coaching conversation. While you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list. Members find out in advance what conversations I'll be doing next and can submit questions if they like. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash coachingbb. Patrons get early access to every episode, as well as other special benefits along the way. I'm always interested in hearing what you think about coaching conversations and ideas you might have of topics and or guests for future episodes. You can send them to me at john at coachingbb.com, tweet them to at coachingbb, or hit me up on my Facebook page, Coaching Volleyball. All the best until next time.